Well, greetings to all of you, wherever you may happen to be. Last time we talked about the fact that joy is inherent to who we are, that it's always present. And you might say, well, I don't experience it. That doesn't mean it's not there. It means we simply need to uncover it or to liberate it. It's always there. But we surely do lose sight of joy when we create enemies. So I have to tell you a story about that. I had indicated at some point, you know, I sure would like to go to South America because there are some places I haven't seen and would like to. And within a couple of days, all of a sudden dropped in our lap the opportunity to go with a private group on a chartered plane to about four countries in South America. It's like, beware of what you wish for, because apparently you sometimes get it right away. So off we went, and Quito, Ecuador, was our first stop. And as we checked into the hotel, we went through the usual process. Here's where your room is, here are your keys, the swimming pool is on the top of the building, and other things we needed to know about the grounds and transportation and whatnot. And then the clerk said, and it's perfectly safe when you walk out the front of the building, enjoy yourselves, but don't go around to the back side of the building because there are headhunters back there. I thought, what? Never in my life had I ever checked into a hotel where I had to be warned that I was in the general vicinity of headhunters. I bet you haven't either, unless you've been to some very unusual parts of the world. Now, the reason that this is even plausible is that when you stand on the top of this hotel, which is at the high point of Quito, and Quito is over 9,000 feet, the highest capital elevation-wise of any country in the world as an unnecessary fact, but you never know when you may need it. And as you stand up there, you look out over the Amazon jungle. The jungle looks like it comes right up to the backyard of this hotel. So it certainly is possible that all sorts of interesting things are hidden out there. And sure enough, everything was fine. We did not venture out to the back. Sometimes I decide to break the rules if I think they're really stupid rules, but this one I wasn't willing to break to see what I could get away with. And as we travel around the city, it's a huge city, to places where you couldn't help but see souvenirs, here are all these shrunken heads, and they're really awful to look at, maybe about the size of a softball. And they sure did look like real shrunken heads. It turns out, as an aside, when I came back home, I researched, and sure enough, this headhunting practice was alive and well, particularly among the Havaro Indians, a very savage tribe. I did not know at the time that headhunting had happened all over the world, so I was just in the process of being educated about the nuances of headhunting. Well, I just easily passed by that souvenir because I just could not think of any place in my house where the properly placed shrunken head would add to the charm of my home. In any event, when the internet came along, I was able to research this even further, and you could actually read step-by-step instructions about how to create a shrunken head. I could hardly make myself read the grisly details. But in any event, we need to look at what that was all about, because it's going to tell us something about how we create enemies. So this particular Indian tribe 
had the practice of hunting heads because they felt like they needed the power of that person. Well, boy, talk about a lack and a terrible way to try to fill that lack. It's like, I'm not powerful enough, so I'm going to go get somebody else's power. Well, of course, that involved raiding other villages and carrying off their wives and children and beheading whomever they needed to, knowing full well that soon retribution would be visited upon their village. You would think that would be enough to stop this cycle. No, it wasn't. They apparently wanted that power very badly. So I thought, but why the shrinking part? So here's what they believed, that there were various spirits that inhabit a body, and one of them was an avenging spirit that would come after whomever was their executioner. (laughs) So they decided if they shrunk the head, that would possibly minimize the danger of this avenging spirit coming after you. The whole thing seems totally absurd, And yet today, on a much larger scale, we do things, both with individuals and countries and so on, that are equally absurd. This seems very primitive, and we think our ways of making enemies of others is somehow reasonable, which of course it isn't. It's just simply more technically sophisticated and efficient, which is just a big problem, but nevertheless, that's the way it is. So we must seem similarly powerless and frightened, or we would be a lot more interested in reaching out to help and befriend rather than to hurt and despise and frighten other people. So we're really not so different from those headhunters after all. Now, the ego mind supports all this because conflict is its food. Conflict maintains that sense of separate self, the me, not me. You're the guilty one, I'm the innocent one, and on and on around in deepening circles it goes, digging us all in an ever-deepening hole. So if the ego has to have enemies as its food, so to speak, what actually is the process by which we create enemies in the first place. This is How to Create an Enemy 101. From the moment of our conception, we all take on a certain kind of wounding or pain. Nobody in the world can doubt that there is some pain and some distress someplace in your life. But we are very confused about where it comes from and what to do with it. So we experience this pain, and then in our very, very earliest days, we erect defenses against feeling that pain. They can be physical, emotional, intellectual, all of the above, so that by the time we're grown, we have layers and layers of defensiveness built in, much of it unconscious to us, but nevertheless, it's alive and well and in there. So here's where we get this deeply wrong. When circumstances or people or situations trigger, notice the word I'm using, trigger this pain, which has been with me since birth and before, I blame those people. I say, they're responsible for it. They cause it. Therefore, they do not have my best interests at heart. They must be against me. They must be the enemy. I must be a victim of their meanness or their evil intent. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Like, 
we have the pain before we even know them or come into that situation. And what they do is remind me of what's there so I can heal it. But as long as I think they're responsible for my distress rather than my being responsible for my distress, then confusion grows upon confusion. And of course, our natural ego response is to hate them instead of love them. All the while, the ego mind really likes this because the more I can pit myself against someone else, either at an individual level or at a much larger level, the ego mind feels itself growing stronger. There's a line in the course that says, the ego grows strong in strife. Now, since the ego essentially feels powerless because Actually, in fact, it is powerless. Only love has power. The ego has nothing to do with love. So the ego is essentially powerless, and in that, it's correct. So it's always trying to grab power from somewhere else, never successfully, no matter how hard it tries. Power comes from loving others, not from defeating, hating, fighting others. So our current courses of action based on our current beliefs only make things worse rather than better. So it would certainly stand to reason that rather than employing a device like shrinking somebody's head in order to limit their ability to hurt us, we simply turn them into a friend instead, in which case they have no interest in hurting us and everybody wins. So once I'm willing to see that I'm responsible for my pain and I begin to see that I really feel more powerful when I help others regain their power and their sense of delight rather than being in pain themselves, I lay the groundwork for my own joy to return. Although we've been greatly mistaken and we have gone up power-seeking cul-de-sacs that didn't work. My joy is always here. It remains intact. It's our birthright, and all is well. I hope you'll remember that when you think other people are primitive and we're advanced. We may be very smart in some ways, but as long as I don't take responsibility for my own life, I'm really messing the boat. Okay, see you next time. Bye.